Our Old Testament lesson is from uh, Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is an amazing psalm um, that we really never get the opportunity in a worship service just to read the whole thing through because it is really long. It's the longest uh, psalm in the book of Psalms. It's the longest chapter, if you want to look at it that way, in the whole Bible. Um, And it is all about the Word of God. And so um, we're going to read a portion of it here and now, but I would recommend uh, this for you uh, to read at some point all in a stretch without breaking it up. But before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day that you have made, and God, we do, um, we do thank you for your word, and God, we pray that you would help us to hear it, help us to be good listeners today to you, to your word, and what you are saying uh, to us today, as well as what you've been saying to your people all through the generations. God, I pray that you would give us ears that hear, but that we would not deceive ourselves and be hearers of the word only, but would actually do what it says. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 119, verses 41 through 48. says, May your unfailing love come to me, Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Then I can answer anyone who taunts me, For I trust in your word. Never take your word of truth from my mouth, for I have put my hope in your laws. I will always obey your law forever and ever. I will walk about in freedom, for I have sought out your precepts. I will speak of your statutes before kings and will not be put to shame. For I delight in your commands because I love them. I reach out for your commands, which I love, that I may meditate on your decrees. Turn into Luke 23, verses 1 through 25. This is Jesus at his trial. Then the whole assembly rose and led him off to Pilate, and they began to accuse him, saying, We have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar and claims to be Messiah, a king. So Pilate asked Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so. Jesus replied. Then Pilate announced to the chief priest and the crowd, I find no basis for a charge against this man. But they insisted. He stirs up the people all over Judah by his teaching. He started in Galilee and has come all the way here. On hearing this, Pilate asked if the man was a Galilean. When he learned that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased because for a long time he had been wanting to see him. From what he had heard about him, he hoped to see him perform a sign of some sort. He plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were standing there, vehemently accusing him. Then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him. Dressing him in an elegant robe, they sent him back to Pilate. That day, Herod and Pilate became friends. Before this, they'd been enemies. Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers, and and the people, and said to them, You brought this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I have examined him in your presence, and I have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he has sent him back to us. As you can see, he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and then release him. But the whole crowd shouted, Away with this man! Release Barabbas to us! 
Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appeared, appealed to them again, but they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. For the third time, he spoke to them. Why? What crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him punished and then release him. But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified, and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, so we have, I've told you before, a strict no chanting policy at my house. And a no chanting policy. So if you say, hey, uh, where do y'all want to go for lunch? And they say McDonald's. You say, no, I don't think we're going to McDonald's. And they start in the back seat going, McDonald's, McDonald's. It's out. That just doesn't happen. There's a no chanting policy. It is one of the best policies we've ever had as parents. And I was telling another uh, parent this recently, and they were saying, yeah, that sounds good. I think I might want to implement this in, at our house. And I said, and if the, your kids give you any pushback, just remind them, chanting is what killed Jesus. So just keep that in mind. <laughs> See. Anyway. Um, we've been looking at, uh, we're just reading about Jesus being tried by uh, Pilate and also by Herod and then finding nothing uh, wrong, nothing deserving death, and yet the chance um, prevailed, and that's what ended up happening. We're getting ready to look at Paul, uh, also under trial in Caesarea, and uh, before we get there, though, I want to show another brief video that I think maybe we can all relate to. Hey, man, can I talk to you about something? Yeah, totally. Just a second. I can come back another time. No, 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 I'm listening. So it's about Megan. We've gone on a couple dates, and they've gone well, but I just think... Sorry, I can wait. I'm listening. Megan? Yeah, so I just can't figure out if she's having a good time. She's been acting a little weird. I don't mind waiting. Just let me know when you're done. I'm listening. I, you, Megan's doing something weird? She, uh, you said that she... Um... I'm listening. So she's just been saying some things. Are you texting? No, I'm not. 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 I'm sorry. I did. I'm... Let's focus. All right. Well, she's super nice, right? So I'm worried that she's just being nice when she says yes to going on dates with me. Yeah. Yeah? Like you know that's what she's doing? Oh, I don't know. I'm, I'm just listening. Oh, right. So the other day, I thought the date was going well, but then she mentioned some other guy taking his date to play racquetball. I'm listening. What? 
Sorry, what? I was in the middle of talking. And I was in the middle of listening. But you spoke. Are you kidding me? I'm sorry. You couldn't read those last words on there. Uh, he says, you are a terrible friend. And he says, sorry, I can't talk now. I'm listening. Anyway. That is enough of that. Um, yeah, we can all probably relate to that because we've probably all been on both sides of that. And... It's really not any good to be on either side of that one when you are the one who is um, not listening to someone. I don't know if you've had that experience. I know I have, where I want to be listening, but I don't. And then after the conversation is over, I look back on how that went, and I go, I was not listening well, and I wish that I had been listening better. But then if you're on the other side of that, where you're, you have something to say, and you're talking to somebody who is clearly somewhere else. <laughs> it is so frustrating because you're just wanting to communicate something and they're not listening. And so uh, that is part of what we're looking at today is a situation where Paul is in, uh, in Caesarea. And he is under trial there. He's in prison, in, in a Roman prison in Caesarea. And he is awaiting now actually his trial in Rome. And so they're going to send him on to Rome. And that is uh, where this story takes place. But what is going on is uh, he's been there for a couple of years now. When he first got there, it was to protect him from being killed in Jerusalem. He gets to Caesarea, and Felix is the guy who's supposed to be dealing with this, and he never makes a decision. Do I release him? Do I punish him? What do I do? Eh, how about nothing for two years? So he does nothing for two years, and Paul sits there and waits. And then after two years, uh, Felix is out. Festus is in. Festus comes in. Here's the case. And says, I don't get it. I don't think there's anything this guy's done wrong. And, uh, and yet, these people really want him killed. It was weird. Uh, but then Paul says, I appeal to Caesar. So now he's got to go to Caesar. And so then when... Uh, Festus's brother-in-law, King Agrippa II, comes in um, from that family line of the Herods, which, if you've ever seen a family tree for the Herods, it is a mess. They were all marrying each other several times over. It's, it's, it is a confusing tree. I don't even know if you could call it a tree. But, uh, but then it also gets confusing for us, biblically, because you have multiple Herods mentioned <laughs> going through and so the Herod that was uh, killing the babies in Bethlehem when Jesus was born was the great-grandpa, or well, was actually the dad of the, um, the Herod we just read about that Jesus was on trial under. And that guy was actually the great-uncle of the Herod, who is Agrippa II that we're reading about now. Okay, that's as simple as I can make it. <laughs> so this Herod Agrippa II is actually the brother-in-law of Festus. So when he comes to town and says, hey, how are things going here? Festus says, I, well, I've actually got this weird situation. There's this guy, Paul, and so we looked at last week where uh, he said, you know, I don't really understand. It's something to do with uh, some disputes about their law and uh, their religion. 
and it, about some dead guy named Jesus that Paul says is alive. Okay, you know, basically, from my point of view, Rome doesn't care. If they want to have these disputes, fine. I don't care. What does this have to do with me? What does this have to do with the Roman Empire? Whatever. But now he's appealed to Caesar. I've got to send him there. I don't know what to do. So then, as we looked at last week, uh, Agrippa then says, well, I want to hear him. And Festus says, then tomorrow you will hear him. So we've waited a week, and we will get to the very, very beginning part of what Paul says today. And next week, we'll look at the rest of how he defends himself here. But for now, we're looking at Acts chapter 25, uh, starting in verse 23, and then going through verse 3 of chapter 26. The next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp and entered the audience room with the high-ranking military officers and the prominent men of the city. At the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. Festus said, King Agrippa, and all who are present with us, you see this man. The whole Jewish community has petitioned me about him in Jerusalem and here in Caesarea, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. I found he had done nothing deserving of death, but because he made his appeal to the emperor, I decided to send him to Rome. But I have nothing definite to write to his majesty about him. Therefore, I have brought him before all of you, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that as a result of this investigation, I may have something to write. For I think it is unreasonable to send a prisoner on to Rome without specifying the charges against him. Then Agrippa said to Paul, You have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul motioned with his hand and began his defense. King Agrippa I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews, and especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. Now, he's going to go on to, pre- to present this defense, and we will look at that next week of exactly what all he says there. But for now, we just want to look at this, just how the whole thing starts. How Luke tells, uh, tells the story, how he sets it up. I love how when these people walk in, that Luke actually records. It's not just that they, you know, and then they showed up, but it's, no, no, no. They came with great pomp, and they entered the audience room with the high-ranking military officers and the prominent men of the city. And so, boom, 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 you got three different uh, indications that these are important people, right? And then... Um, at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. And so you have, just from the outset, this viewpoint from the world, the world's perspective of these important people and the prisoner Paul. And the prisoner Paul, I mean, he's a nobody, right? (laughs) Whereas all these important people are around, and now they're going to have to try to decide what to do with this guy. But of course, if you've been following the story, if you know the way that this is really going from a heavenly perspective, Look at Paul. He is the one guy in the room who is actually doing what it is that God has made him to do and being the person that God has made him to be, the guy who's in relationship with God. And so when you look at this situation, it's almost the whole thing is on its head that Paul is the one person in the room who is uh, kind of the important person from a heavenly perspective. And yet, as we'll see, It's actually everybody in the room is an important person from a heavenly perspective. But this is very similar and kind of echoes what we just read in Luke about Jesus being on trial, isn't it? As Jesus is being shuffled around by the earthly kings, and yet 
as though he's a nobody. And yet he is the king over all the kings. And so there's this strange um, reversal of what's really going on versus what appears is going on. So there's that. But then we get to uh, actually what it is that Paul says. That's what I want to focus on. Paul says three things to begin. He says, one, King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews. Two, he says, and especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Three, therefore I beg you to listen to me patiently. So taking those in order, first of all, he says, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews. Does that sound right? That he would consider himself fortunate to be in this position? If what he's saying is, I consider myself fortunate that I've been lingering in prison for two years, that does sound a little off. But I don't think that's what he means. I think he legitimately means he's glad to have an opportunity to actually defend himself. And one of the reasons for that, I think, is because we don't often get an opportunity to defend ourselves. He has been falsely accused of things. And a lot of times when that happens, you don't ever get to answer that. And so it's easy to see kind of at the high school, middle school, somebody starts a rumor. It spreads like wildfire. Oh, did you hear he did this? You hear she said that? And before you know it, everybody knows that you did that, whether you did it or not. And who do you, how do you set the record straight? Who do you go to? There's nobody. There's not like a, a courtroom you can uh, hold. You can't hold court there at the school and get the witnesses around and try to get it all settled and sorted out to find out what really happened. And so that sometimes that is exactly what people long for when you've been falsely accused, is I, I just wish that there were a, a way that I could stand up and say, hey, everybody, this didn't happen. <laughs> Bring in the witnesses. Let's call this court to session. It didn't happen. It's easy to see uh, at high school, middle school kind of thing. But it doesn't just happen at that level. It happens at every level. And there are all the times, all the time people who are being falsely accused who do not get a chance to defend himself. So when he says, I consider myself fortunate to actually get to defend myself, I think he's being serious. That he's glad that he actually has an opportunity to say, these people are saying these things, but that's not what's going on. Let me tell you what's really going on. But he's not just uh, glad to have an opportunity to defend himself against those accusations. Because that's one of the things we've seen about Paul throughout. Is it's not just about defending himself. He is giving a defense of the gospel itself. That's what he's on about. If you go back to chapter 20, when he was getting ready to go to Jerusalem and everybody's saying, don't go to Jerusalem, Paul, you're crazy. Don't go there. They're going to kill you. And he says, that's all right. I'm ready for this. This is what I'm about. And so he says, uh, I consider my life worth nothing to me. Um, My only aim, is that right? Is to complete the task finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Make sure I got that right. 
And I said, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. So is this an opportunity to do that? To testify to the good news of God's grace? Absolutely. So is he, does he consider himself fortunate to get to do that here? Yes. Even uh, regardless of what they end up doing with him, this is another opportunity he has to share the good news of Jesus. And that's what he's about. That's what he's going to do. The second thing, though, is it's not just that he considers himself fortunate to get to make this defense to Agrippa because he's some important person. That's not it. But it is partly because King Agrippa is one of those few Romans who is actually well acquainted with things of Judaism. Uh, His mom had actually been uh, really interested in all things Jewish. And so he had been raised learning about these Jewish things and was also uh, fairly young when he realized this is probably where he's going to be. So he was interested in all the Jewish things. And so when he comes to hear Paul, Paul's like, oh, good. I don't have to start with, from scratch with this guy. Like, I get to communicate the good news of Jesus to somebody who is already aware of all the promises that people have been making. And when we read next week, you'll see uh, that the way that he goes about this making his defense is two-part. One is tying in how this is just a continuation of everything the Old Testament was about. That's all that Paul is doing, is saying that Jesus is the Messiah. So if you know the whole Old Testament, all the promises that God was making to send his Messiah, Paul's case is, he's done that. God has sent his Messiah. That's who I believe in, and that's why it matters that there was this dead guy named Jesus that Paul says has raised from the dead. But secondly, is that he's not telling this whole story in order to get himself out of trouble. He's telling this whole story to get King Agrippa II out of trouble. And that is the craziest part of the whole thing. Is that when Paul tells a story, he's so glad to get to talk to Agrippa because Agrippa is somebody whose heart may already be ready just because he knows some of the things from the Old Testament that this is going to hopefully click with him where he will, it will make sense to him. And that he might be able to receive Jesus as the Messiah and as his Lord and Savior as well. This is why Paul is, considers himself fortunate to get to share this with him. Not so he can get out of trouble, but so he can share the good news with a guy who's in trouble, as we all are. And so that's where I see uh, that Paul, in looking at Agrippa, is not seeing what everybody else in the room is seeing. Everybody else is seeing this is an important man who comes in with all the other important people. And there's a lot of pomp going on to show how important he is. And when Paul looks at Agrippa, he doesn't see an important man. He sees someone who is a fellow human being, who is a fellow sinner, who also needs a savior as much as Paul did. And this is the reason why he says the next thing, which is, I beg you, therefore I beg you, to listen to me patiently. A couple chapters earlier, when Paul first got to um, got to Caesarea to Felix, there we go, chapter 23, 24. 
There's a lawyer named Tertullus. This is beginning of chapter 24. And he gets uh, brought in to make the case of those accusing Paul. And he starts out like this. I just want you to hear the contrast. He says, We have enjoyed a long period of peace under you, and your foresight has brought about reforms in this nation. Everywhere and in every way, most excellent Felix, we acknowledge this with profound gratitude. But in order not to weary you further, I would request that you be kind enough to hear us briefly. Do you hear this? This is the way the lawyers talk. He comes in and he starts his case by first flattering the guy that's going to be making the decision. And then second, continuing the flattery by also saying, you know, we're, we know you're a busy guy. We don't want to take too, up too much of your time. <laughs> if you just, if you would do this, the kindness of just listening to us just for a little bit, that'd be great. And so in all of this, he's saying, you are the important guy. We are nobodies. That's not how Paul talks, is it? Paul is not flattering Agrippa. He's not saying, oh, you important person. But he's saying, I beg you to listen to me. He's not saying, I'm just going to be brief. If you could just bear with me for a little bit. He's like, no, no, no. I I beg you to be patient. This might take a while. (laughs) But I beg you to listen to me patiently because what I'm saying matters. I'm sure you all have seen movies where uh, there's the bomb that needs to be diffused or (laughs) And the person who's there, of course, is not the person who knows how to diffuse it. They never are. And so there's always somebody else on the phone somewhere else. This is a common thing, right? Why is this a common thing? I don't know. How often does this happen in real life? Whatever. So they're there, and they're going to diffuse the bomb, and they've got the other person on the phone. And the person who is on the phone with them never has to say, okay, listen to me. They're already listening, right? (laughs) Because they understand the importance of this. This is life and death. This matters. This is not a time for daydreaming. I need to know, is it the red wire or the green wire? I don't know. (laughs) Tell me. And they're hanging on their every word. And Paul sees this as kind of the situation. He's like, you might not understand this is your situation, but I understand this is the situation. And so I beg you, listen to me patiently. If you have ever been a parent talking to a child before sending them off somewhere where you know what they need to hear and you know that it's important. You understand this, I beg you to listen to me. And if they're doing what we saw in the video there, I'm listening, I'm listening. Please, I beg you, listen to me. That is where Paul is with Agrippa. I beg you to listen to me patiently. And again, The reason why is because Paul cares about Agrippa. He sees him as a person instead of as a king. Um, Jesus, in telling parables, often had this line where he said, whoever has ears let them hear, right? Whoever has ears, let them hear. I don't think he's discriminating against people who don't have ears. I think what he is saying is you have been given ears for a reason. Use them. Use them well. Don't let the word uh, be like the parable he tells with the, the path where it's hard, and the seed goes. They don't hear. They don't understand. And so it doesn't ever sink in. 
It never takes root. And it never makes any change. There is no crop. He says, whoever has ears, let them hear. Um, Ephesians chapter 3. I think one of the ways that we see what's on Paul's heart for, even for King Agrippa, is what we see in his prayer for the church in Ephesus. We'll talk more about this on Wednesday. But he prays, and you can hear um, his passion for the good of these people. I think this is the same thing that he considers himself fortunate because he gets to present the gospel to Agrippa. I think this is the same thing that we want for each other. And I hope this is the same thing that we want for everyone we know and everyone we will come to know. So before I read it, this is where we're going to end. Before I read it, I want us to hear this. That as we have opportunity to share the good news with everybody, that we wouldn't let their status in our society, whether high or low, prevent us from seeing them as God sees them, as people who need to hear this good news of Jesus, and help us not to be worried about ourselves in how we're going to sound or whether we know all the right answers, but to be concerned with the other person and how much they need to hear the good news, that we would be glad for the opportunities to share, and that we would trust God, as we then do share with them. And that this would be our prayer for them. Ephesians chapter 3, starting verse 14. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. We're going to stop there. Whoever has ears, let them hear. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.